Welcome to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast, where we discuss all things wellness. I'm Eleni Welch, nutritionist. And I'm Kay Boyer, health enthusiast. Welcome back, Renegades. Welcome, Renegades. Welcome to another week of Smart Things with Eleni. This one will really showcase Eleni's brilliance. <laughs> It is how to understand nutrition articles, and this is pretty much every week you guide me through how to understand it, so this is like your forte. True, (laughs) true. Yeah, actually, a few, it's come up a few different times, so... um for, for people who don't know, I used to be a professor of environmental science. Oh, nice. And this is one of the courses I used to teach was like how to find and read. And of course, with that, it was environmental science articles. Oh, cool. But it was how to find and research environmental science articles and then understand them and yes. make sure that they were valid and unbiased and all of that. Okay, make sure they're credible and we mm-hmm. can get it. Um, wow, what a what a history you have, you, yes. you smart cookie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like a major part of the course. Because obviously once you get into like a graduate program, then most people these days aren't really heading to the library right. anymore. They're no. heading to Dr. To, Google. Or TikTok is now my, <laughs> TikTok. Is my educator. I cannot tell you how to navigate TikTok. <laughs> I could not. Yeah, I don't know how to work <laughs> it, but I just turn it on and start watching. I don't know. And then four hours has passed. <laughs> I think everything from TikTok you can just assume is unreliable. Yes, that's very true. That's very true. That's yeah. Very true. Yeah. But because now we're in the era of people mostly looking things up on the internet. Yeah. Then I had a whole course on it because that's what yes. people are going to do. They're not yeah. going to head to the library so often. Right. Right. And now mm-hmm. I know this is good to let us know which is credible, which is bull honky, which is good. Bull-honky. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Don't trust the bull honky. Don't that's wisdom from my small town. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like small town Iowa wisdom. Yep. Yep. Bull honky. Bull honky. <laughs> Live by that and you'll... Never go wrong. That's the alternate name of this episode is Don't Trust the Bull <laughs> Don't Honky. Don't Trust the Bull Honky. <laughs> I love it. Oh, okay, yes. So like I said, this is a course I actually used to teach, and it's a course I took during my first year as a master's in my occupational and environmental health program. Um, I thought that science was this beautiful, pristine truth full of integrity and reliability. Oh, yeah. And it turns out it's kind of like not. I mean, mm. I always thought as long as I was reading from a research study published in mm. a scientific journal, yes. it would be credible and reliable. Oh. But as we've learned in this podcast, you got to follow the money. That's right. Oh. And even before the days that I fully grasped that concept in my master's program, one of the courses you had to take was something, I think it was called evaluating scientific literature or some, something yeah, along those yeah. lines, right? Yeah. And they walked us through how to read through statistics, which I won't get into that in this episode because you really do have to know statistics. Like you have to know the different statistical methods used and whether each one is appropriate for that article. And I could not cover that in a simple way. And I would have to look up a lot of those things again because mm. I don't remember a lot of it. Yeah. Um, but we went through that, like the statistical analysis, how to know whether there are different types of a statistical analysis mm. you can use. There are different computer programs you can use to evaluate your data. And you needed to figure out whether they use the right ones or not. And okay. then whether their data actually was significant and statistically relevant because sometimes people have such large 
confidence intervals that it's like, yeah. Anyway, okay, I could okay. really nerd out about it. But we also went into <laughs> how many people were involved in the research study, what type of research study they did, where they pulled the people from. So for example, if you were doing a health study and you did the health study on professors from Harvard University. Okay. And that was your sample population. Well, that's like a pretty specific sample population, right? That doesn't actually represent the masses. Right, yeah. Because professors from Harvard University are going to have a specific lifestyle. Yes. Right? That probably... Yeah, I mean, obviously they're not all the same, but they're going to have similar influences in their life. Yes, yeah. But you would be surprised how many research studies do just that, like take a very specific population of people and then extrapolate the data to the whole population as if it represents Um, everybody. Which there's something too then hopefully in the data there's the the whole subtext of like who is in it, what's their demographic, what's their, you know, like all the fine print. It does tell you. Okay, good. But you have to know that that's valid or not Mm, valid. Okay. Okay. So, you know, once I took that course, it kind of opened my eyes up to how many poorly conducted research studies are out there in circulation. Mm. And that training has guided me pretty well for the last decade or so through my master's in nutrition and beyond. So I'm going to share some of that with you today. And I'm not going to get so in the weeds as we got in that class, because obviously it was a whole semester long course. So and we're going to give you an, a good and we're going to give you yeah. like an hour of information. So we just can't get into the weeds that I got in there. But yep, not a 20 hour. <laughs> so as I've paid closer attention, I've come to realize that a lot of the nutrition studies that we see mm-hmm. are highly corrupted oh? by the food and pharmaceutical industries. So I want to share some tips with you today, help you recognize good research, weed out bad research, and determine the validity behind some of those scientific claims that you see in the news and online. So, mm-hmm. okay. Which it feels um, like in our podcast, I'm like, oh yeah, you've called out a lot of them that I now know, you know, mm-hmm. the, the biases. So, okay, let's mm-hmm. hear it. Let's hear it. Yeah. So first I'll help you find some information on like finding reliable research studies and information. So you don't have to be looking at research studies, although we'll get into that. But in terms of internet searches, which probably make up the majority of research these days, yes. sites that are considered the most credible okay. are websites that are ending in .gov, so okay. gov, government okay. websites, .gov, okay. and .edu, okay. which belong to educational sites such as those from universities. Mm-hmm. That's what's considered the most credible. Because mm-hmm. the .com means they want the monies. Well, a .com just basically yeah. means anybody could have a .com. So yeah. you and I have a, a .com. Yeah. You know, we yeah. have renegadenutrition.com. Yes, yes. And so anybody can pay yeah. for a website and have a yeah. .com. It doesn't mean they yes. want money. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but do fact check us, guys. But yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It's like anybody could have a .com. Uh-huh. So a .gov or a .edu is like, there's only credible institutions are allowed to 
have those. It's not okay. like I could go open a dot gov website. Yeah. Right yeah. <laughs> Become our new our own government. Yeah, I would we love that. Try this. But, yeah. <laughs> Let's try it. And I used to exclusively search dot gov and dot edu sites mm-hmm. alone because I thought, well, these are the most credible. That's what I learned in my education. That's what I've taught my students. Um, and unfortunately the last several years have really demonstrated that our government can't really be trusted to demonstrate unbiased credible research okay that's fair i was gonna say that also you need to check it Mm -hmm. and some of the most prominent organizations including universities that we believe to be credible and independent sources of advice are funded by food and pharmaceutical industries Mm. and are pretty unfortunately deep in the pocket of things like the sugar industry and the big agricultural industry and our government agencies are well within the pockets of those agencies so uh, yes i don't rely so heavily on edu and gov sites anymore because now it's pretty debatable whether those things are actually unbiased sources of information or not but if you're doing a web search, those are considered the most credible. Okay, I was going to say, well, then where to go now, Eleni? Oh, right. my. So if you're going to search online, probably one of the most important things is that you look for an article that contains citations. So what mm. I mean by citations is that they cite their research. So if they state a health fact, such as eating eight pounds of carrots a day, helps prevent retinopathy (laughs) they should have after that statement in their research article something like a little number Mm -hmm. like a subscript or a superscript that then links to an article at the bottom that's typically how people format it there's different there's different ways to format your citations so some articles may just put the whole citation in parentheses after the sentence that they're citing Mm. Some may put one of those little numbers, like a little subscript number. Yes. I'm sure you've seen that when you're reading. Yes, and you're one to follow that small lettering, and mm-hmm. I'm one to be like, nope, I'm going to go eat 12 bags of carrots. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad you exist. They lady. said eight pounds, so I'm going to eat 12. <laughs> yeah, just to make sure just my sure. skin turns orange. <laughs> yes, I've seen it happen. Um, yeah, so they should have a citation. So eating eight pounds of carrots helps prevent retinopathy. And then something in parentheses, either a website or their source or a number that comes that then you can trace to the end of the article and find the research. So that's what I mean by a citation. You'll know it when you see it. Mm -hmm. So if they just state that information without citing it, there's really no way for you to be sure Mm -hmm. it's reliable or that it came from research. It's like me just making stuff up and writing it down. Yeah, exactly. Anybody could just say it, right? So the first thing I do when I look something up online is check to make sure that the article I'm reading has citations in it if it doesn't i pretty much just move on to the next article mm-hmm. unless it's from somebody that i know to be a reputable source of information but even then the people that i follow are ones who provide citations mm-hmm. and that's why i follow them yes so if you end up on somebody's blog which you more than likely will these days if you google something and they're writing a research or a quote-unquote research article that doesn't have any citations, there's no actual research behind it unless they conducted the study themselves and it was well-funded and it was a reliable study. So Mm -hmm. if it doesn't have citations, your best bet is just to scoot on. Yep. Okay. I like it. I avoid sites like 
Wikipedia and WebMD like the plague. WebMD has diagnosed me with a lot, Eleni, and I am going to stand by that one. <laughs> I'm just joking. My husband every day is like, I might have this. And he screenshots of WebMD. I'm, I think I think you're all right. <laughs> yeah, um, because anybody, as we know, can edit a Wikipedia article mm. <laughs> and they can say whatever they want. And WebMD is, and, and Wikipedia, I think, are pretty heavily influenced by the pharmaceutical industry, WebMD especially. So mm. even though they have information, a lot of times what I've seen on WebMD is, you know, if I'm researching like an herb, a specific herb and yeah. a health condition, WebMD will be the first one to be like, this is quack science. Yes, blah, blah, you're blah. right. You're yeah, right. They right. really are. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. And then you can go and find an actual like database of research articles and find tons of research that supports it. But if you go to WebMD, they make it sound like nothing exists. So yep. just stay away from it, right? Yep, 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 yep. So if you're looking for a credible individual, some of the credible individuals whose websites I really like as a source of information because they w are well-cited and research-backed. Mm -hmm. So some of the main ones I use as sources of information when I'm doing research are like Chris Cresser. I've talked about this before in our podcast. I love Chris Cresser. Mm -hmm. His website is chriscresser.com, all mm -hmm. one word. Uh, his last name is K-R-E-S-S-E-R, Cresser. And his first name is Chris, like C-H-R-I-S. So chriscresser.com. I use Chris Cresser's website to research anything from toenail fungus to, to cancer, right? <laughs> I don't use him exclusively because that would be silly because nobody is perfect and nobody has all the right answers. Mm -hmm. But he's, he's one of the first places I start because he provides research articles that are well researched and scientifically okay. backed and very well cited. Mm. Um, so yeah, he's almost always my starting place. He's also really good at breaking the research down into understandable chunks. So he takes it out of its scientific jargon and makes it understandable to the masses. Mm. Good. So he's yeah. a good place to start. And I find him to be very credible, very well research backed. And if he ever has anything that isn't backed by science and he finds something else that contradicts it, he'll always say so. So oh. I think that's yep. reliable. Yep. Right. I like it. Uh, another credible source and person that I like is Dr. Mark Hyman. Oh, I love him. His website is drhyman.com. Last name is H-Y-M-A-N, and that's D-R. So drhyman.com, drhyman.com. Mm -hmm. He is a medical doctor turned functional medicine mm -hmm. and is a wealth of information. His yeah. years of clinical experience working with patients provide him with insights that are not always cited, but are always rooted in clinical experience yes and he healed himself of all those things what he had mm -hmm. like mercury poisoning and yeah some, uh, he's had a ton and of stuff, a ton of stuff. He, yeah he's awesome yeah, yeah i respect him a lot he's a super reliable source of information i like him um another one is chris master john his website is chris master john phd.com he has a PhD in nutritional sciences and served for several years as a professor of nutritional sciences at a university in new york um, before he left academia to provide information to the masses. <clears throat> mm. I find his research or his articles are incredibly research backed, mm. always very well cited. That's that PhD in him. Yes. Mm. Yes. He's a PhD. So he does know how to read the research. Mm. Actually, you would be very surprised to know that medical doctors have no formal training 
in understanding and reading research, which is part of why a lot of times they're not up to date on the research because mm. that's not part of their education for the most part. There are classes you can take as a medical doctor and I had a medical doctor in my class that I took for understanding research. So that's mm. not to say none of them do, but a lot of them don't take advantage of those classes or don't have them offered. Mm. So you can't rely on a medical doctor just because they're a medical doctor doesn't mean they understand scientific research better than you do. Scientific research is its own language. Mm. You learn more vocabulary words in a biology class in one year of a biology class than you do in one year of a foreign language. Yeah, I cannot speak the biology, <laughs> so I, I understand it. I'm, yeah, I'm going to let you be my translator there. So you sh you just because somebody has a professional medical degree doesn't mean they understand scientific research or how to read it. Mm. A PhD, however, typically has a lot of training in that department, knows how to read research because mm. they'll have written um, their dissertation for which they have to provide a lot of scientific research backing their dissertation or they'll have done research themselves. Mm. Same with the master's thesis. So... Generally, somebody who's been through that process knows how to read research and knows how to find it. Mm -hmm. um, so I have paid for a subscription to Chris Master John, John his nutritional information because I found it to be so well-researched and fairly reliable. That's he awesome. did have something at the beginning of COVID where he wasn't recommending vitamin D for COVID because oh. the research at that time was showing that vitamin D could potentially cause a cytokine storm, which is when your immune system becomes overactive. Oh, and I always, like, the first time he put out an article, I was like, nobody should be taking vitamin D for COVID. I was like, no. <laughs> I, like, read his article. I'm like, I don't believe it. Because all the research I was seeing at the time from, like, long-term studies was yeah. showing that vitamin D was very protective against COVID. Oh. But he was just citing this is what the research is showing, and that's what he's very good at doing. So wow. doesn't okay. mean he's correct all the time. Right, right. We're right. human. We're all human. And, yeah. and research doesn't always, research itself isn't always reliable. So anyway, I'm giving that example not to slam him at all because that's the only thing I've ever seen him put out that was questionable. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, I just want, I want people to understand nobody is the perfect source of information. So I never just go to one site. It's not like I get all of my information from Chris Masterjohn or Mark Hyman or Chris Kresser because they're also humans that are going to have their own biases and influences. And so their yeah. research is going to be. And I do like this idea kind of that you're bringing up is to check how you feel about the information and just be like, nope. I yeah. don't, it doesn't feel right. Does yeah, it? that and doesn't not, check out with yeah, every, right. I've read 99% of the research I've read surrounding COVID and vitamin D tells me that vitamin D is a preventative factor. And then here's this 1% that says it could cause harm. I yeah. don't, I'm going to believe the 99. Yeah. Generally speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And he wasn't wrong. There was research coming out at the time I was seeing that said it could cause a cytokine storm. So he wasn't like just pulling it out of his butt. Yeah. It just didn't check out with my foundational understanding of vitamin D. Yeah, yeah. Okay, another good uh, reputable source is the doctorswolfson.com. Mm, I don't know this one. Yeah. So they're a cardiology-focused husband and wife team. Wow. So Dr. Jack Wolfson being a medical cardiologist who moved away from the conventional medicine model of cardiology after the board at the hospital he worked at threatened to cut his paycheck because he was helping his clients with nutrition and lifestyle and wasn't 
prescribing enough pharmaceuticals. Mm. Da, da, da. Did you know <laughs> that they have a quota of pharmaceuticals they have to provide in order to get a certain amount of money? So he shares a lot of that information in his book, which wow. is The Paleo Cardiologist. I find him to be a very reliable source of information. He's definitely an opinionated source okay. of information. Okay, you got to be if you're going against the co conventional way. Right, but yeah. if you've been through what he went through in the medical community, it's kind of understandable. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's every medical doctor's experience, but that was his experience. <laughs> and it was certainly um, eye-opening to read his book, So the Paleo Cardiologist. So I okay. like using their research for all things cardiology because he has many, many years of both conventional and functional medicine cardiology experience. And any suggestion that he makes is generally something he has implemented in his practice and seen great success with. Wow. So even though he's, and he cites quite a bit of research in his book and in his articles, but even when he doesn't, the things he's suggesting, he's seen success with like 50 patients doing this thing. So I trust him as a good source of yeah. all things cardiology information. Mm. Okay. And then a few honorable mentions mm. for more specific information are Terry Walls and Matthew Embry. They're both excellent yeah. sources of information for multiple sclerosis, so MS. Um, for Matthew's website, you can go to mshope.com. And I highly recommend you watch Terry Walls' video on YouTube. It was a TED Talks called Minding Your Mitochondria, where she talks about her research with MS and her experience with personally having an MS and overcoming it. And Matthew Embry has a similar story as well. They've both had success following their protocols. So in our interview with Matthew Embry, <clears throat> pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Some episodes back. Yeah. Look up our that. interview cool. with M for uh, what did we title that with Matthew Embry? Gosh. I can't remember. But you'll know, see it. His documentary is Living Hope. Yeah, his documentary is called, I think it's Living Proof, right? Living Proof. Living Proof. Oh my gosh. MS Hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, MS Hope is his website. So I didn't mention them above, even though they're reliable sources of information, simply because they're, they're specific to multiple sclerosis. And I could go through and mention somebody specific for celiac disease and somebody yeah. specific for thyroid issues, but I'm just citing... Really, I was just citing people who overall had good, reliable yeah. information. But I feel I can't go an episode without giving some credit where credit is due to Terry Walls. So. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> but when I'm researching a health topic, I don't just stop with a well-cited article. So mm -hmm. that's my starting point. So maybe I want to do an episode for us on toenail fungus. So I want to know. <laughs> All the green machine facts <laughs> on it. <laughs> So maybe I go to Chris Cresser and I type in toenail fungus and I find several articles on toenail fungus and I read through them. That's my starting point, right? Mm -hmm. And then usually what I'll do is I'll go cross-reference it with something from Mark Hyman or something from Chris Masterjohn and I see where are all the similar points, what are things that differ between them. If there's any, there's rarely anything that's like glaringly different. Mm. They all tend to have the same ideas and research that they're providing. But if there is anything that's glaringly different, then I'll spend some time dissecting mm. that too. Smart. But the next step, anytime I'm looking up any article. So if I know who the author is, if it's one of those authors that I, I just mentioned above, then that's good. I trust them. So this is step B if I don't know the author. So okay. if I don't know. I don't know, know you. 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You. I don't if know. I don't know the author of the article, so let's say I'm looking up toenail fungus and I Google search toenail fungus, and I see an interesting looking blog okay. article on it. Okay. So then my next, and I see that they cited it, so I go ahead and read the article. If they didn't cite it, I move on, right? Okay. Now we're in step B. <laughs> so they didn't want K Boyer's opinions on toe fungus. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I did. Maybe okay. I went to kboyer.com mm-hmm. and she had a well cited research article on toe yes, fungus. Yes, I did through Eleni Welch. <laughs> <citations>. <laughs> she cited me, so it's really reliable. Yep. <laughs> so then the next thing I do if I don't know the author is I research the author of mm-hmm. the article mm-hmm. because they should have some level of expertise in the field that they're writing about. Or have done a very thorough job of talking to the right people and summarizing the research well. And they should be an unbiased source of information. But generally, I look for them to be some sort of nutritional expert. So I'm going to research them. I'm going to make sure that they're a credible person, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And that they're unbiased. And I'll share an example at the very end of this process that I've used and what a biased versus an unbiased individual looks like. But generally, if they're some sort of health professional, then they at least should know the topic. And even better if they're an expert in the field of what they're writing about. So if I'm reading the toenail fungus article, mm-hmm. I want them to be an expert in toenail fungus. They if better they're have write awesome about. toenails. Yeah. Otherwise, how do I know that if they're a just Joe Schmo off the street, mm-hmm. how do I know that they understood the research mm-hmm. they were reading, right? right. They yeah. should be an expert who understands how to read research. I agree. So I do that, research the author of the article. The next yep. step is to go through the individual citations. And I do this whether I know the author or not. So even for authors that I know, I go through the individual citations. So not necessarily all of them, if there's like 20, but any of them that sound particularly relevant to the article and this is important for several reasons one of which is that just because somebody cites a research article does not always mean that the research actually supports their viewpoint Mm. or that the research is valid and i've seen this before when i've read articles from people and then i've gone through and clicked on the research articles and then realized that's funny Like, there's no relation here. Yeah, there's no relationship. Like, they either linked the wrong article, because it's about something completely unrelated to the topic, or they totally misunderstood it. So I've seen people, you know, post an article as, like, toenail fungus is caused by eating too many onions. And then they post a research article, right? Then I click on it, and it's a mouse study showing that mice that ate a lot of onions developed, like adenomas and it's not related to toenail fungus at all i'm like okay so <laughs> but this person's like well adenomas when those people they don't have to- to- toenail fungus like they're like connect you're like there's no connection there. yeah no, that doesn't count but yeah especially if you're reading an article written by somebody who isn't an expert in the field of nutrition or human health but is writing about nutrition topic you should double check their citations because, again, you can't be sure that they read and understood the research article well themselves. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'll get into the scientific research, but sometimes 
the research that they're citing. I've seen people cite themselves. So they cite yes. a research article and it's a research article yes. they wrote. I've seen that quite I a few times. It. I love it. It sounds like how I do my life. Yeah, <laughs> like according to this research by so-and-so at Al. And then when you click on it, you're like, wait, you were the lead author on yeah. this research article. Of course you think that. I would that. so do that. That's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> I mean, and if you have the research to back it up, there's no harm in doing that. But when it's your only source of information, that's mm-hmm. always funny to me. I've also seen people just cite some pretty bad research. Maybe it's just a case study with one person, you know, and it doesn't actually show anything. So don't trust just the citations. That's only your starting point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this sounds like a fun Friday night for you, Elaine. It's like it is going through the like the research and finding and like gritting it out on your wall. <laughs> Kay's gonna finish this this episode and be like, never mind. I'm just not reading it anymore. And I'm like, I'll it's just try, I'll just have Elaine read it all for me. Just tell me what I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll give you guys an example of this process and when I've used it before. So here's a specific example. So a friend of mine. Okay. Real friend. Real friend. In real life. This is a real life example. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. This was a few years ago. All right. They sent me an article that they wanted my opinion on. And the gist of the article was that grass-fed beef creates just as many carbon emissions as grain-fed feedlot beef, and that the only way to eliminate these carbon emissions was to stop eating meat altogether. Okay, so many falses, but I'll let you go ahead. (laughs) That was my first thought too, right? But but you have to realize as okay. people, we're biased by our own opinions. Mm-hmm. And so right. that's where you're right. like, okay, yeah, I'm going to read this. Open. Okay. I'll read this. Okay. Like, okay. I, I already feel like this person is full of... Bull honky. Bull honky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to think, what's a nice way to say this? Bull honky. Bull honky. <laughs> but I'm going to read their whole article and I'm going to look into it, right? Because the person who sent it to me was somebody who was like genuinely concerned. So okay. I didn't want to just be like, well, my personal opinion is, is that they're bull wrong. Honky. <laughs> bull honky. I you wanted respected them enough to yeah. look. Good. I was like, I'm going to look and give them an extra, actual opinion, right? Okay. So the article, first off, contained several citations. Okay, so they're off to a good start. Yeah. To research that they said supported their opinion. So if I had started that article and it was all unsighted, I probably would have stopped there, right? Because they're not citing their work. And so what research are they connecting to support their opinions? opinions. Yeah, it's just an opinion piece. You're allowed to write an opinion piece. Yes. But you should support it with research. Okay. But it did contain citations. So it passed my first test. I didn't know the author. I wasn't familiar with them. So the next step was that I looked up the author of the article. So who are they and what is their profession? Are they a health or environmental expert? Are they somebody who's in the field? Are they a farmer themselves? Have they done this research personally? Who are they? So I looked them up and they were not any sort of health or environmental expert. They just had a Bachelor of Arts in English and Writing. Were, was their name Karen? I don't know. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I actually have a wonderful friend. Her name's Karen. She goes, but I am a Karen. I'm like, but you're a wonderful Karen. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. So, um, okay. So that's, that's the first red flag. That's the first red flag I've come across genuinely. Okay. There's a red flag in my gut that it doesn't agree with my personal worldviews, but that's not enough. Right. Right. To just scientifically say. Right. To say, oh, this is bull honky. Yeah. That just means it conflicts your opinions. But the first actual red flag 
was that they were not an expert of mm-hmm. any sort in the field that they're writing about. But okay, people who are journalists aren't necessarily experts in the field they're writing about, but they can find research and they can yeah. interview the right individuals. Yes, we are open. So yes. it's a red flag, but it's not the be all end all. So then I have to look up, okay, well then let's find more information about them. So I found their website. This is fun for me, right? So I found <laughs> yes. their website, their personal website, and they are a vegan and an animal rights activist. Okay, so agenda, like for them, yeah, They have an agenda, right? Yep. So they are not an unbiased source of information. Okay. So they have a biased viewpoint because mm-hmm. this article is suggesting grass-fed beef is as bad as grain-fed like feedlot beef and produces as many carbon emissions. And the only way to eliminate these it, these emissions is to stop eating meat. Okay, well, they're an animal rights activist, so they clearly have yeah, a bias. an ulterior yeah. motive involved in this, right? Yeah. But, but, <laughs> they're, so they're not off to a good start, right? They're not an expert and they're a biased person, but they did have cited research. Okay, and we will listen to research. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I can't discount the article. So... The next step that I went through that I told you guys about is I looked up the various research articles they had cited. I was doing my due diligence, so I'm not a big fan of them as a person or their opinions, but that's not going to stop me from reading the science. Yeah, they might be nice and funny. Yeah. So the research articles that they cited all turned out to be from the same author. So even though they had like four or five different articles, they were all written by the same author. Okay, Okay, so that's a little bit, right? that right there is a little bit of a red flag. They're citing the same person over and over again. So they don't have the opinions of more than one person saying this. So that's a little bit of a, yeah, uh, uh, something's not quite right here, right? So specifically, the information that they were citing came from various talks and presentations that this researcher had done at environmental seminars. So it's not that this author had been to those environmental seminars, but they found his information from those seminars posted online. You can find that from time to time, right? Mm -hmm. So his research did seem to show that carbon emissions from grass-fed and grain-fed cows were the same, which was very interesting to me because it was contradicted by a wealth of research I've read before that shows that they aren't the same, that grass-fed cows, because of creating like a carbon sink that absorbs the carbon emissions with the grass anyway yeah that they produce overall net emissions that are much smaller than grain fed but his research seemed to show the the opposite and not to throw in my i'd have to cite my work and it's so there's a book called drawdown of like it's a carbon drawdown book and it's like 50 essays to help draw down carbon from the sky and they were saying that pastures with grass-fed beef collect draw down more carbon then well obviously then dirt but mm-hmm. like then normal pastures mm-hmm. so like for me which i could i'd have to find that book but it's called drawdown and it's really good um and that was the idea that it's like you actually need those pastures to make the beautiful soil to draw down the carbon to grow the grass and anyway right anyway yes, not exactly. that not that we're right now arguing the, the right that concept i mean okay. this is just okay. the example but it's yes. a good point right so I've had similar experiences of yeah. reading various articles on it, various books on it. And I'm like, this is strange because mm-hmm. this seems to be at odds with a lot of the other research I've read. But that doesn't mean it's invalid. Right. Just because it's different. That's You're the right. point of You're replication right. in studies is that they should be re- 
replicable, right? So if one person ends up with one result and another person ends up with the other result, doesn't necessarily mean either one, like that one is right and one is wrong. Mm -hmm. You just have to keep repeating the science until you get a clear pattern of results. So I thought it was interesting that his research showed differently. So I looked up his funding because I looked up him. Okay. Right. We're getting really deep in the weeds yes. on this yes, now. Lo- yes. Because I'm like, ooh, this is fun. I'm yes. feeling like this is a puzzle I'm solving. So I found him and his research. I looked up his funding. And he was funded by a large grain company that provides grains to farmers who raise feedlot cattle. So his research was funded by an agency who had a vested interest in the research he was producing and a specific outcome of the research he was producing and would naturally want to discourage the idea that grass-fed beef is better for the environment, which would naturally be bad for their business, right? Mm. So if you're a science, like if you're in the field of scientific research and the person who's providing all of your funding and your paycheck to live your life has a vested interest in the outcome of your research, you're probably going to sway things their way, right? Right. And look at that. Uh, and also when you look at the pieces of inf- information, but not in the whole or um, like el- everything's relative. So let's say that like grain does pull down carbon from the sky. Like NASA has a report. They did a um, satellite image of carbon in the atmosphere. And all of a sudden, all the carbon disappears during their time lapse. And you're like, what's going on? And that's during the spring when all of the crops start coming out. It draws down all the carbon from the sky. So a piece of the information is like the grain that's grown. It did pull down the mm-hmm. carbon. So there's a, like there's this like element of truth yeah. that could be like, but then it's like used in a manner that isn't appropriate for the outcome. Right. Yes. All plants are yes. carbon sinks in yes. some way because all plants need carbon. So yeah. Yeah, you're going to find that. But yeah. plants, there are plants that are better at it than others. Yes. So, And then it's the soil health. And then it's the, exactly. like the biology. Okay, I'm sorry. There's a We're, whole thing. It's a whole thing. Okay, and there's continue. all the stuff behind all the emissions involved in the processes of maintaining those cows. Anyway. Yes. Amen. So we can get into all of that. But the idea was just, this took several layers of digging for me, right? I enjoy this sort of thing. <laughs> I love that. Not about everybody you. is going to, but it's an example of yeah. if you don't, if you don't do the digging, you're going to be misled mm, yes. from time to time yes. because somebody who didn't do the research, you know, and my friend was like, I, I'm asking you to do it because I know you'll do it, right? In but, the right way, you'll do it hard. <laughs> right? Yeah. But if they didn't, if they just took that article and didn't pursue it further, they would have come away with the conclusion from that one article that grain-fed and grass-fed beef are the same and they're hurting the environment by eating the grass-fed beef that they thought was better and they should go vegan. Mm. Which was, by the way, the intent of the author who was an animal rights activist. Like, we can't pretend that wasn't their their intent. Yeah, right. that's true. So, <laughs> like, Yeah. If you're an activist for anything, you are strongly trying to encourage other people to buy into your mentality. It's not good or bad, right or wrong. It just is the way it is. Yeah. So, yes, you don't have to do the research. Nobody's saying you have to do the research. You just should be prepared for the fact that if you don't do the research, you might come across some false information or misled information or misunderstood yes. information, and you might walk away with the wrong outcomes, right? The wrong this like, understanding. This is very useful. This time 
in this age of technology, this is this is good what you're saying. Check mm-hmm. it, check it, check it. Check it, check it, check it. Especially yeah. in the world of like false news. <laughs> yes, for real. Right. So you can't just stop with, well, this mm. looks like a trustworthy article and it's well cited, mm. so it's all good. You do need to do the digging if you want to really understand the information. Yeah. Yep. This is what I do every time I read a podcast or write a podcast, just so you guys We're know. We're like hours <laughs> deep in the research every time. <laughs> I am. Hey there, Renegades. Eleni here, briefly interrupting this episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. I wanted to highlight a company that Kay and I have recently discovered that we love, and that company is Bulletproof. Bulletproof sells high-quality nutritional supplements, and every product that Kay and I have tried from them personally, we have found to be excellent. It's important when you choose a supplement that it contain the bioactive forms in order for it to be effective and Bulletproof has just the right forms in just the right amounts. Right now, if you go to bulletproof.com and use the code RENEGADE15 at checkout, you can receive 15% off your order. That's RENEGADE, R-E-N-E-G-A-D-E-15. Use that code at checkout to get 15% off and we'll earn a small commission too. Thanks for your support. All right, back to this week's episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. So the best sources of information are, of course, the research articles themselves. Mm. Because generally, in any research article, you have to state by law, you have to state any conflict of interest. So Mm. even though an individual can write a blog article, then they don't have to state a conflict of interest. Nobody is holding them to that. They can do what I want. They can do what they want. They Mm -hmm. don't have to say it. But in a research article, you are by law legally bound to report any conflicts of interest. So you have to report your funding, which is how I found that that guy was being funded by a grain company, which he said didn't influence the outcome, but okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Sure. (laughs) I'm sure they just paid for your son's bar mitzvah for fun, right? Okay. So you can Google a topic. So let's say you want to find a research article. So now how do you find a research article? Because now you've heard this and you're like, okay, well, I don't want to read somebody's blog. And I look for a research article. So you can Google a topic and find the research articles that, because Google will share at the top. Usually if, if there are research articles, they'll kind of share those first. So you should know that Google is very biased and very much wrapped up in funding and control under the influences of big pharma. And I could go into all of that, but I really feel like that's kind of its own separate episode. Our (laughs) SEO just went way down right now, (laughs) Eleni. They just hit us at the bottom. Google is going to squash us like a bug. They're like, renegade nutrition. I can't find them. And it takes you to some pharmaceutical site. (laughs) Probably. You'll know what happened. If you find us at the bottom of a river, you know what happened, right? Yeah, that's right. You heard it here, folks. You know who did it. Go get them. It's well known within the functional medicine world that Google suppresses naturopathic research. That's true. It's pretty well known. Okay. Yeah. You can fact check me on that, but good luck finding it on Google. You're going <laughs> to 
to use another platform. <laughs> Which doesn't always stop me from using it because it's convenient. It's so convenient. But it is something to be aware of. You right. have to work. When you're looking for information and research. Yeah, you have to work harder. If right. that's the search engine you're going to use, you have to work harder to find the right information. Which is why I really like using somebody like Chris Kresser because... I can look up his articles. I can find all the research he's cited. I can look through his the research there and find the research articles that way versus trying to do a Google search and find them. So that's why I like doing that. But if you're just starting on your own and you want to start with a research article, the best way to do it is to use PubMed, which is a scientific database of research. Mm-hmm. All research, but also nutrition, nutrition research. So... If you just type in PubMed, you'll come up with it. It's pubmed.ncbi.nlm.nih.gov. It's a .gov. There it is. Google the PubMed. (laughs) .gov. Just Google them. Google does not suppress PubMed because PubMed is a database of all peer-reviewed scientific literature. Okay. Okay. So then you can use PubMed. And they are funded by the NIH, which you should know that the NIH, the National Institute of Health, isn't exactly an unbiased source of information either, as we've talked about in other podcasts, but you're never going to find a completely unbiased source of information. True, true. Everyone's biased. Even we're biased. We're biased. I'm like, even here, yeah. you're going to find a biased opinion because I'm biased by what I know and understand yeah, yeah, about right. nutrition and have seen. Right. Right? So I Fact yeah. check us too. You can fact check us too. Yep. So you're never going to find anything that's purely unbiased. Yeah. Because everybody is biased and motivated by something, whether it's political views or worldviews or funding. Yeah. Everybody's influenced by something. So the NIH is pretty much as good as you're going to get. PubMed is is a good place to start. Okay. They uh, they share a wealth of research articles, things from the Journal of Nutrition, which are all very good. So if you want to use, if you want to just look up research, I suggest you use PubMed. Okay. And by the way, you're going to come across unless you're part of an institution, you're going to come across a lot of articles that you don't have full access to, that you would have to pay to have access to. Oh. But anytime there is an article that you do have full access to, because after a certain period of time, mm-hmm. you have access to them, Yeah. you can click the... There's usually a link that says download full PDF or full text link. Mm. So look for that. Anything that says full text or full PDF or anything like that, you can yeah. click that and then you can read the whole article. Nice. Because when you nice. go to PubMed, what it's going to give you is basically an abstract, and which is like a summary of the research. So you're not going to find the whole research article there. You have to look for those full text links, which are always going to be on that page when you click on the article. Mm-hmm. Smart. And just so that you know, if you're looking up research, you should look for the most recent research. Mm. Not that old research is bad. Sometimes I find an insight older research, even if it's from the 60s or 70s, because sometimes they they research something and then they, like all the funding for it got pulled because it was leaning away from the pharmaceutical industry. Mm. And so maybe you can't find anything more recent than the 70s. But as a general rule, you should look for the most recent research. That's mm. typically going to be the most up to date. Mm. Okay, so now you're on PubMed and you're looking up a research topic, but now how are you going to interpret it? And how do you know it's reliable? I don't know. Okay. Well, as far as interpretation, you should know if you're a layperson that any research article is going to contain a lot of scientific jargon. 
-hmm. So like if you don't have experience in the field of science and research, it's going to look like gobbledygook to you. (laughs) I want you to say some words for me from scientific. What are some like... I want some like ramblings of like let's what would it say be like? it was like this data was analyzed by quantitative polymerase chain reaction technology, right? Like, would okay. you know yeah. what that meant? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some technology. I had you have to something technology, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah, is yeah. just saying like if they did a DNA study that they used PCR, which is polymerase chain reaction, it's a type of of a way of like replicating DNA and evaluating it. Okay. You're right. You lost me. Okay, I yeah. got you. I got you. Right. <laughs> it's going to be full of things like that. And yeah. and especially when it comes to like analyzing the results, they're going to be like, we use statistical method XYZ and we used this software to analyze it and we used this confidence interval and it's going to be confusing. It's going to uh, have a lot of scientific jargon. To know kind of the, you know, like the code to solve the riddle like right. behind it where I would be like, Blue, blue, okay, research, blah, blah, research. Okay. Yeah, okay. exactly. And honestly, okay. what I do is I Google words I don't know if they're integral to the sentence. Yes. Right? I'll, I'll Google it and I'll start spending some time. Context clues. I tell my, <laughs> Context my first clues. grader. Context clues. That's right, okay. right. But I also sometimes just skip over the words if they're not integral yeah. to yeah. the sentence I just skip over them and see what the context yeah. tells me yeah because you would be surprised in scientific articles because a lot of them like to sound very self-important oh I can't imagine yes. <laughs> you would be surprised how many words you can skip and still understand what they're saying <laughs> I just like all the big words yeah they just like the big words I'm like this is a supercalifragilisticexpialidocious situation right. like right. that word necessary yeah right. I wrote a master's thesis I know what they're doing I've done it <laughs> Trying to sound smart. That's right. You need to sound smart because you want to sound valid. So you're going to use the big words. You're going to use the research. And it doesn't always actually add anything to the content of the article. So, um, yes. Human nature is funny. But but look up any words that you don't understand. And sometimes I have to look up multiple words in a row because I'm like, I have no idea what that means. And then once I start looking up, I'm like, oh, I get it. I get it. And sometimes it's like I look up a word and then I have to look up the word they used to define that word. And you know you're in deep. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Again, I enjoy doing this stuff. (laughs) I would have been like, okay, where's my cookies? I got to (laughs) go. I'm just going to eat the 12 bags of carrots. I'm yeah, where's my carrots? I'm going to go eat <laughs> Okay. That's so funny. that's how you can read through it, right? Don't get too lost in the weeds. And always make sure you can find those full text links because if you just read the abstract, that's where it's going to be the most dense scientific information because they're trying to condense everything into mm. several paragraphs of a mm. summary. So you want to read the full text article because typically they do a better job of putting it in layman's terms Whereas with the abstract, it's basically something that a scientist could look at and say, okay, does this article actually pertain to the research I'm doing? And can I use it to support my hypothesis? Hmm. An abstract is going to give them that. They don't want to spend the time reading through 65 research articles. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's how I did my thesis. I looked at an abstract. Is this relevant? Nope. Next abstract. Is this relevant? Nope. Is (laughs) next abstract. Oh, this one sounds relevant. Now I'm going to read the whole research Ah. study. So they break things down a lot more simply when you read a full text link, typically. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now how do you know that the science in that research article is reliable? Mm. So here's some tips for knowing whether a research article is relevant. 
Okay, the first tip is to trust no one. Ah, <laughs> survival 101. Right, the trust most prominent no organizations like we talked about that we believe to be credible and independent sources of advice are often funded by food and pharmacal industries, mm. pharmaceutical industries. So, Dirty, dirty. For example, did you know that the American Heart Association, the AHA, gets money from cereal makers to put a seal of approval on their packages of cereal and mm. it receives hundreds of thousands of dollars for each endorsement? There is a little heart on there. It does make you feel like it's heart healthy. Uh Uh-huh, it's not. (laughs) (sighs) Well, they got paid pretty well to say that it was. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is based off of their decades-old research, but... (laughs) Right, so like Twix is heart healthy, according to the American Heart Association, and so is Cinnamon French Toast Crunch. So, Yikes, okay, okay. Now now you will know if we disappear and you find us at the bottom of the river, it's either the AHA or Google. Or Google. (laughs) Now there's several suspects. Okay. (laughs) To be fair, you know, like when products like Coca-Cola and Skittles and all those companies were created, the manufacturers at that time maybe didn't know just how much obesity and disease their products would cause, right? When they created the product. Right. They just are making something yummy. Yeah. But that's no longer the case. That's not an excuse Right. We now know like this is making our nation not healthy. Right. Right. So Mm. big food companies are not innocent actors anymore. They're active participants and they actively fund a lot of research so that's going to be the first thing you want to do is go and look for those conflicts of interest which Mm -hmm. just because you're legally bound to report them doesn't mean you're going to but but just like you are googling Mm -hmm. authors on a blog you can google authors of a research study and find out more about them so if you feel suspicious about a research study you're reading you can look up who all the authors are and find out if they have any ties to any big industries because sometimes they don't share that conflict of information mm-hmm. or conflict of interest, which is illegal, but only if you get caught. So, right, right. Okay. The age of information. This is so interesting. Yeah. So, so here's something interesting. So, let's look at like the MS Society. So, we talked about this in our episode with Matthew Embry, right? The Multiple mm-hmm. Sclerosis Society. They're supported by the following corporate partners that are pharmaceutical companies. Biogen, Bristol-Myers Squibb, who, by the way, have faced accusations of deceptive advertising campaigns and FDA violations, as well as received a number of lawsuits due to injuries and illnesses related to the drugs that they produce. So Hmm. not a great company, but they fund the MS Society. Genentech, Novartis, and Sanofi is one of the main manufacturers of MS-specific drugs. Um... So again, something like if you want to research multiple sclerosis and you end up on the MS Society website, you should know they're heavily funded by pharmaceutical companies. And so that's what they're going to report on. And Matthew Embry, his MSHope.com is greatly dot org. Dot com. Dot com. His mission is all the unbiased. Like he's. He is so done with all that bias and he's out there to kind of give the... Right. He receives no funding from anyone for yep. that very reason. Yep. The American Diabetes Organization is sponsored by CVS Pharmacy and Splenda. <laughs> no, it isn't. It receives more than $150,000 per year. This comes from the American Diabetes Organization website. I looked oh. it up. I looked up their corporate partners. There's so many questions behind that. Okay. Uh-huh. So they're sponsored by a sugar substitute company that doesn't make great products. For example, Splenda's... Uh, hello. 
Splenda makes a diabetes care shake, which contains the following ingredients. This is supposed to be for diabetes. Water, microfiltered milk protein, canola oil, short-chain frugooctosalarides, <laughs> allulose, natural and artificial flavor, <clears throat> cocoa powder, potassium citrate, salt, sunflower lecithin, dipotassium phosphate, gel and gum, carrageenan, Splenda, sucralose. So <clears throat> just saying, it's a little bit of a digression, but again, you should know that the food industry and the pharmaceutical yeah. industry are deeply wrapped up in a lot of the organizations that we trust. So it's always important when you're looking at research to see who sponsored it, who put it out there. Is it research done by the American Diabetes Organization? Because how reliable is that, right? Okay. So moving on. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I could go into the American Cancer Society as well, because I looked that up too, who's funded by Again, the following pharmaceutical agencies, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Genentech, Merck, Nucor, Janssen, which is the pharmaceutical industry owned by Johnson & Johnson, Novartis, Pfizer, and Beyond Meat, the manufacturers of those toxic vegetable oil-laden meat substitutes who are dedicated to spreading misinformation about the health effects of red meat and animal fats. That's one of the main funders of the American Cancer Society, along with all of those pharmaceutical companies. So... Pfizer. Oh my word. Pfizer. Not to yeah, not to mention the lawsuits against Wow. Okay. Yep. All right, folks. So <laughs> the organizations that have the most sway when it comes to promoting research that identifies the link between dietary and lifestyle habits and chronic diseases rely on pharmaceutical companies and food industries for funding. So how often do you think you're going to see research from them saying like, you know what, maybe pharmaceuticals aren't the best route. Maybe you could heal this naturally with diet and lifestyle. You know, maybe artificial sweeteners and vegetable oils contribute to the progression of disease. You're not going to see that, right? Because they're being funded by people who rely on those for their income. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. <laughs> Hot topic. Hot topic. That's right. So all that to say, again, it's important to understand what you are up against and fact check everything. So discern what is legit. Remember, good articles have citations. And for consumers, you have to be hyper aware, right? So before you buy into a headline or the latest study, you should read the fine print. Look at who paid for the study. So look at who's funding it. That should be is is required to be included in a research article not required to be included in anybody's blog or personal website articles okay um <clears throat> just like you wouldn't believe a study on cigarettes that was funded by philip morris you shouldn't believe the research studies you read on sugar funded by pepsi right okay that's fair you know the ceo of pepsi won't drink it himself yeah really mm-hmm just saying. Rumor. <laughs> so now, you know, now that you're looking at, okay, who is funding the research? Let's say that you're, you feel good. You found a good research study, used PubMed. They don't seem to have any listed conflicts of interest. That, that's all you can do, right? You just have to assume they're telling the truth. <clears throat> and generally they are. Because if they were lying, they can get in a lot of trouble. So now what? So now you need to find out what kind of study it is. So 
there are different kinds of research studies. And most commonly in nutrition, they're either an observational study or a randomized control trial. Sometimes they're case studies. Case studies are usually done with about one person. It doesn't mean they're unreliable, but you want to see the results replicated in a large population of people. So if one person has a specific health outcome from following a certain nutritional protocol, that's great. And that gives you grounds to then do research and try that in a large population. But just because something worked for one person doesn't mean it actually works for the masses. So you can't take that research and translate it. Right. So observational studies are really common when we're reading nutrition research. An observational study looks for associations and inferred correlations. So they collect observations for a hypothesis. So the purpose of an observational study is to generate hypotheses for future research and to assess whether correlations are real or just noise. So they may look at several different populations, several different outcomes and see, okay, what is what seems consistent between the populations? So mm-hmm. we've now seen three studies that show that if you eat 12 pounds of carrots a day, you don't develop retinopathy. Okay, might that's be. kind of like an observational study, right? Might be true then. <clears throat> but it's important to remember that correlation is not causation. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the weakness. Yes. So it doesn't prove cause and effect. For example, in the summer, ice cream consumption goes up, as do drowning deaths. So correlation indicates that ice cream consumption is related to drowning deaths because they both go up at the same time. They're correlated. As ice cream consumption goes up, so do drowning deaths. So if you only were basing things off of correlation, you would look at that and say that eating ice cream causes people to drown. Dangerous food. (laughs) But... Obviously, that's not the same as causation. Mm -hmm. Maybe the causation is that the summer brings with it more heat, more sunshine, more people eat ice cream because it's hot out, more people go swimming because it's hot out, Mm -hmm. and more people drown when more people are going swimming. Right, right, (laughs) right. So the studies that I put more faith in are blinded and randomized control trials, which are true experiments. So in a typical randomized control trial, scientists manipulate one variable, such as sugar intake, and then assign people to different groups where they're exposed to high levels of sugar or low levels of sugar. Mm-hmm. The researchers then follow those people in each group and measure things like changes in their body weight, cardiovascular biomarkers, and appetite. In a blinded study, which is the best, these scientists and statisticians that are evaluating the statistical outcomes of the study are not aware of who belonged to what group. Mm. So they cannot yeah. be biased personally when they are reporting the outcomes. Yes. Which is, I'm boring K over here. No. I need more sleep in my life. I which is pretty common. I mean, even when you would be surprised, but having done research myself, it's amazing how what your opinion on the hypothesis is, what um, you think it's going yes. to be, influences yes. how you interpret We're the data. We're all biased. Yes. Right. We're all biased. So you kind of want, you have your hypothesis, you want the data to support it. Obviously, you're not going to cheat the numbers, but you can be influenced by that desire to see it end up in a certain way. So when a study is blinded, that prevents any sort of 
mm. bias from influencing the statistical reporting. So yeah. that way, the statisticians who are looking at all the results of the study and reporting on the results of the study, they have no idea what the numbers mean. They're just reporting the numbers. Yeah. It's fair. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, sorry. Woo-wee, woo-wee. It's dense. We're almost through it. <laughs> so an observational study doesn't do any of those things, right? So much of our dietary guidelines and health recommendations are actually based off of what is known as nutritional epidemiology, which relies on observational studies, not clinically controlled randomized trials. So observational studies, you know, are kind of weak and easily manipulated. They're what led to the disastrous advice to eat low-fat diets and and consume 6 to 11 servings of bread, rice, cereal, and pasta every day. Sounds delicious. That's what (laughs) observational studies do, right? Yeah, that was a bad move. I remember that pyramid in elementary. That was so bad. Yeah, it still exists today. Mm -hmm. So remember, again, that replication is the cornerstone of good science. So... If you find a good research study, it's a clinically controlled, blinded study, you should be able to find another study that replicates those same outcomes. In fact, you should be able to find several studies that replicates that same outcome. So one study is great, especially if it's a large large population. So like a population of 100 people or more is a larger study. That's generally there's, there's different sizes that are required for proving out different things, but in general, you want a large population um, and you want to know that it's replicable. So you want to know that other people can repeat that experiment with a different group of people and achieve the same outcomes. Mm-hmm. So replication is the cornerstone of good science. And if one sensational study comes out that contradicts a large body of research and sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So it doesn't mean it's wrong, but I wouldn't believe it until I see more studies that come out that prove the same things and confirm or deny the results of that one. So again, that's kind of what we were saying at the very beginning of like, if 99% of research supports one thing (laughs) and 1% of research supports another, I'm going to believe the 99 until there's a larger body of research that supports the 1%. And kind of see like, what was that 1% saying? What was their difference? Yeah. Yep. So basically that's, that's kind of where I'll end it. But I think this should help you kind of know what you're up against when you're looking for <laughs> at least don't take it for granted, right? Like mm-hmm. when you're looking up research articles, know the amount of work that somebody put into doing that research. And then when you're reading somebody's blog and they have citations, they should have read all of that research themselves, but I wouldn't trust that personally. So yeah, you're going to want to do the digging yourself. So if you're not interested in figuring out the truth, then just ignore this whole podcast. Didn't forget about it. <laughs> I, I think I respect the most of this, Eleni, is just, the like you're taking your own power to decide research, get to the bottom and decide if it's right for you. And I like that idea that everyone just takes it into their own hands. And if you want to figure it out, just keep go looking at the facts and see what comes up. Do digging. I yeah. think it's fun. It's a little bit like being a journalist because yeah. you get to go through and you're like, okay, I'm going to look at this website. All right. Who is the author of this? Who funded the research? What is the research that supports it? I'm going to read that research study. I'm going to look it up. Who funded that research like yeah it just gets every layer gets like deeper and deeper and deeper you can get really lost in the weeds and sometimes I have sometimes I find myself looking up a research study looking at the research that they cited because every research study will cite research 
and then looking up those research studies and then you can look up those research studies it's like the inception of research studies pretty soon you're like a dream within a dream within a dream but your brain you are a scientist <laughs> in your brain and in your heart good golly Can't but you know for the average layperson, you don't have to do that you can look online you don't have to you can find, text your friend find, who is uh, <laughs> find the blog mm-hmm. articles find the things that you know, are more interesting, easier for you to read. Mm -hmm. But understand if you don't do some research yourself, you may be reading things that are incorrect, that are biased, that are misinterpreted. So just in general, you should be an educated person. You should understand what you're reading, especially if you're going to make a health decision based off of it. So if you're going to decide to eat the 12 pounds of carrots a day, you should really, like, that should be a pretty well-researched decision before you make it. That's not good for you, by the way. So <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing in this podcast was considered a, no. a medical advice. No. no. Um, and what a cool age we live in where all that information is at our fingertips. Yeah. It's really neat that yep. you can get to it. And, mm-hmm. and you just think when you're younger, yeah, going to the library to figure out just what they had and... That's neat that we have it at our fingertips. So yeah, yeah. My favorite way to get information is to buy and read books. But oh yes, yes, we've got some hours devoted to this right yeah. now. Finding the truth, it takes hours, friends. It takes hours and hours. I never want to do a podcast where I just totally misrepresent information because I yeah. didn't take the time to do my research and understand it and make sure it was good and unbiased and well done. So. Yeah. Yes. Although I don't cite things, I break my own rule because it's much harder to cite something verbally than it is in a written document. So although I don't cite things in the podcast, there is a wealth of research that goes into each episode to make sure we're bringing you from at least my level of ability to provide it the most unbiased and truthful information available. Yep. That's integrity, friends, from the Renegade Podcast. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Eleni. And for the rest of you, just keep doing your research and find out what's true. That's right. And go Go be Renegades. Renegades. Thank you for listening to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. Please keep in mind that this podcast is an educational service that provides general health information. The content on this podcast is not a substitute for direct, personal, professional medical care and diagnosis. You should always talk to your doctor before making a dietary or lifestyle change. Go be renegades! Go be renegades!